Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of About Abroad, where it's my job to introduce you to people who have built amazing lives for themselves in various foreign corners of the globe. We're talking with expats and thought leaders about moving abroad, remote work, visas, and all the fun and practical knowledge that you need to know to follow in their footsteps. If you've ever dreamed of making a life for yourself overseas, maybe working remotely or embracing long-term travel, retiring or studying abroad, or even just taking a peek inside life beyond your borders, you've landed in the right place. My guest today is my good friend, Ken Hellam, who joins me all the way from the sunny south of Spain and the beautiful Costa del Sol, truly one of the most popular places in all of Europe. And Ken has found a way to make it his home away from home. He's originally from Norway, grew up in Sweden, has lived in a variety of countries around the world from the U.S. to Japan and a few other stops in between. So we dive into all of that, what it's been like growing up in a lot of different places, learning different languages, the lessons that that teaches you along the way, as well as some of his favorite spots along the southern coast of Spain. We also spend some time talking about remote work and the future of work because Ken is a world-renowned voice in that space as the head of hybrid at Bellico and someone that I have really enjoyed getting to know through our collective work in that space as well. So a lot of fun, a lot of things packed into one casual conversation here on About Abroad today. I hope you guys enjoy this one. I really did, and I think you will as well. Please help me in welcoming Ken to About Abroad. Man, I'm so excited for this, Ken, because like uh, you and I, whenever we talk, it's always about nerdy, like remote work, hybrid work <laughs> stuff. And, uh, and finally, I'm going to get to ask you some questions and learn a little bit more about this uh, this thing that we share in common, which is having this life abroad in in the beautiful country of Spain. Um, yet I don't know lots of details. So like I'm, I'm genuinely looking forward to this on a, on a personal level. I mean, I am super excited being here. We've had lots of great conversations in the past, uh, but this time we're going to get a little more personal. And uh, I love <laughs> I love these types of kind of open, vulnerable conversations where we really get to know each other. Yeah, absolutely. Man. Well, on that note, I have to say thank you for wearing your fun shirt today because uh, the, the audience can't see you. But I mean, you've you've brought some uh, some joy with the. Uh, with the flowers. I'm up here in Germany, you know, and so like missing, missing that Spanish soul and, uh, and the, and the warm weather, but you brought it with the shirt vibrancy today. So I'm wearing this colorful Hawaiian shirt right now. And, and believe it or not, this is my trademark. Um, so whenever I want to be recognized, if I go on stage somewhere, you will see me in something colorful and bright. So <laughs> trying brightness to the world. Yeah. Do you, do you know, uh, Danny page by any chance? Danny Page, no. Danny Page, he's he's uh, he's going to be one of the MCs at Running Remote, and um, and has been for a couple years, and uh, he's also in the uh, the Sweet Shirt Club. So, like, you guys are you guys are like already going to have a lot to talk about. Um, can't wait to introduce you two to each other. <laughs> We're going to have to connect. Yeah. <laughs> I love a little personality. <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, um, anyway, man, it's, it's yeah, great to have you here and I'm, I'm super excited. I think that, uh, what I would love to do is like, I have, I have some 
genuine questions coming from the back of my mind before we like really dive in deep. And I'm just, I'm just curious if you can kind of set the stage for the audience because I know a bit about you, but they may not. So let's just kind of start with like where you're from and where you are now and fill in a few bullet points in between to get us started. I had a couple of points between those those two destinations. All right, let, let's let's try. Let's see where we can take this. I am uh, born in Norway, Oslo, Norway, to a Norwegian dad and an American mom. So, so I've always been kind of Norwegian and American. Um, my mom always wanted to kick me out of the house. I love her to death. She just didn't want me ha- have. She just didn't want to have me around. So so she said, "Go travel." So from as long as I can remember, I've been traveling everywhere. First vacation, then, then a longer stay in the U.S., part of high school. I was in, I was in the Bay Area. Um, then I studied abroad. I went to, to Australia for my MBA. Uh, and by now, I lived in eight countries. Um, I moved to Spain about two years ago, a little less than two years ago now, during the pandemic. Um, and trying to put some root downs here, and, and we'll see how long those roots stay. <laughs> and the place that you went to was um, was where I actually planted my roots at first when I moved to Spain, which is down there in the Costa del Sol, which is world famous for some of the most beautiful beaches and um, a, a holiday destination for a lot of people. But it's pretty sweet place to call your quote unquote like permanent home um, as well. And, uh, and yeah, so, I mean, I, I think you, you, you picked a nice spot. Was that on purpose? Like any particular reason you went to the Costa del Sol? So I love Malaga and I liked, um, the climate and the environment here, but I've mm. always dreamt of living in, in San Diego in California. Oh, and yeah. I've actually prototyped that. So, so years ago now, my, my ex-girlfriend and I, we, we went over and we stayed for three weeks in San Diego just to test how it would be. And we loved it. We love the climate, we love the nature, we love the ocean, we love the food. Um, we didn't like the pricing. <laughs> I was working at Google at the time, and, and I realized we both would have to work at Google to be able to afford anything remotely nice. Um, so, so we came back with that in the back of our mind, maybe as a target for the future, but we weren't ready yet. Then during the pandemic, we came to Malaga, and we realized Malaga is the San Diego of Europe. Mm-hmm. It has the hills, the same nature, it has the water, the same water, it has the climate, the same climate, and everybody speaks Spanish. So, so we're like, this is perfect. It literally is like the the European version of San Diego. Funny enough, man, actually, my wife and I were just talking yesterday about like, if we did, we I don't know if you do this, like, we play this game all the time. Like, what if we were to move to XYZ? It's like a problem with location independence you're you're constantly playing that game (laughs) (laughs) and we were like what if we did go back and we were talking about we were like if we would go anywhere it would be if we were to move back to the u.s it would probably be san diego um and but for me like i grew up on the east coast and my big draw back to america would be to be back near like family and friends and so that almost like like i might as well just be here if i'm going to be all the way on the west coast in a lot of ways and that's really why why I am here, right? This is yeah. the same time zone as my family in Norway. My family's still in Norway. Um, it's easy to connect. It's easy to travel. It's just a four-hour flight. Um, and, and I do do that quite often. And, and the second argument is just the pricing. Like Everything yeah. here is a, a third or a fourth of the cost uh, as it would be in San Diego. Oh, yeah, for sure. And Malaga is a sweet city, too. Like people, I, I think 
maybe it flies a little bit under the radar for for people internationally. Um, but it's like, I mean, it's a it's a great size city. You have everything you need there. It's not like a wild metropolis that's obviously not super expensive, but also just not like uh, all the infrastructure problems that come with with big hectic cities. Um, you kind of have like the best of both worlds. I, I fully agree. And, and Malaga Central, the city, the city center here is is up and coming. It's really mm-hmm. starting to bustle. I think if you go back 10 years in time, people would know Malaga as the airport you fly into to go to the Costa del Sol. Yeah. Like all of these um, touristy charter places with the drunk Brits. Um, <laughs> that's up along the coast from Malaga down south towards Marbella. Beautiful beaches, beautiful places, um, but they're a little over-touristy for, for my taste. I live on the other side of uh, of Malaga intentionally, where it's a little more Spanish. But mm-hmm. but the city center, the last 10 years, they've really invested into to making it look nice. There's a new harbor. There's lots of great restaurants. There's culture. There's a busting startup scene. Um, so the whole place is really, really coming alive. And you can see the difference day to day now. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know about the like the bustling startup scene. Actually, I mean, the the truth is, so I got to tell you like a little story. When I went to the Costa del Sol, what I knew was just like, like exactly, like almost verbatim what you just said. I knew of Malaga as the airport to get there. And then I knew there was like a lot of pretty beaches um, between there and Marbella. Like literally that was yeah. about the end of, <laughs> extent of my knowledge. Um, and I thought, cool, we're going to go there and uh, and I'm going to learn Spanish and I'm gonna. I got a three month tourist visa. That's where I'm. That's where we're going. And I planted myself in a little town that I found called La Cala de Mijas, which I'm I'm sure you know of uh, near Mijas Pueblo. Um, but down there, they have on the a great. Coast. They have a great music festival there. Do they really? Okay, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, what I did <laughs> learn was that you don't learn any Spanish there because it is all British tourists and British and Irish tourists. So I never spoke a word of Spanish. Um, did have a good time, enjoyed it, nice people. But uh, but just like I just basically went there and hung out on the beach for three months and um, and and obviously didn't learn much Spanish. Uh, but I wish I had spent more time in Malaga and further up the coast in that direction because I agree with you that side of the Costa del Sol is a bit too touristy, resorty for my personal taste. I think a lot of people love it, but for me, it's like not a place I really want to live. But going further towards Malaga and and up the coast in that direction a little bit, I think you get into more of a place where like you would you would want to have a life. It's funny because because we came here during the pandemic for the first time. I was working at Google. They they were the first to close mm-hmm. down the offices and last to open, and they said go work from anywhere. So I did. Right. And and we came down initially for three months and we tried a couple of different Airbnbs on the Costa del Sol side. So we were in Fuengirola, where all the Swedes go. We were in Estepona, um, but it was during the pandemic. So there was nobody out anywhere. Everything was empty. It was like a ghost town. Um, you can't really, so we didn't get, a really get taste for the Spanish vibe. <laughs> <laughs> but then we then we went home for summer and came back again uh, after summer to, to kind of test fall. Um and, and we tested a couple of other places and, and ended up by chance in, in an area very close to where I live now, on New Reta. Um, and there was nothing there. There was literally nothing. It was a golf resort. Um, hated that area. So we kept coming on to Rincon de la Victoria, which is where I live now. And, and that was just alive in a whole different way, not a touristy way, because there weren't any tourists anywhere. But there were lots of Spaniards. The menus were in Spanish. People would 
yell at us for not speaking Spanish. And we're like, we love this. This is, <laughs> this is why we came to Spain. I love that, man. Yeah. Sometimes you do have to seek that out in, uh, I mean, really across Europe, like it's, it, I, I'm, I love living in Europe and traveling around to a lot of the different countries and the different cultures that you have. And, and that's an amazing aspect of being here. One of the downsides sometimes is that it's so attractive for tourism and all the beauty that you get and the history and, and all of that, that it gets a little bit overrun with tourists and, or like everything's just default to English. And sometimes it, mm. it detracts from the, uh, from the essence a little bit, but when you find those places where that's not the case, um, and, and especially in an area like that, like it's, uh, that makes for a pretty special recipe. And I think you got to be intentional about that because yeah. wherever you go, if you don't try, you will find tourists you will find other expats like if you don't want to integrate with culture and if you don't want to try to pick up the language the, the easier safe way is to find someone like you and then they always exist mm. um so, so i intentionally try putting myself out there and and trying to learn the language much slower than i'd like to uh, i have a jam session in my house every second tuesday where, where, where artists come play guitar and and there's more and more locals who are joining that group so, so I'm, I'm creating this um, opportunities for myself to integrate with the locals. That's so cool, man. Yeah. That's, those are some great ways to actually like meet people who, who are from there, live there. Not just like, I, I think there's a, I think there's a nice balance, right? Like hanging out with other expats can be a, a really cool thing. Um, because a lot of times that comes with like, a um, it's a melting pot of people from around the world. Like, I, th I think it's a shame to go to a foreign country and then just only hang out with all the people that are there from your home country, I think you're, you're missing an opportunity, but I think it can also be a missed opportunity if you go somewhere and you just like only hang out with the locals and you neglect the whole expat scene or nomad scene or whatever, you, you want to embrace a little bit of the both. Um, and so I think when you're finding that right balance, when you're actually like in a place for long enough to, to get to feel that out, that's the, uh, that's kind of like the sweet spot for me. I found. No, I, I love it. I, I fully agree. Um, and, and there's, there's something comforting as well about being able to speak English, right? I am more on my feet. I'm funnier in a language yeah. that I'm comfortable with. It's easier to be me, right? Yeah. When, when I'm only speaking Spanish, um, my vocabulary is limited. I'm slow in responding. Um, so, so I lose a little of the, the cannot edge, right? Totally. I'm finding that actually here in Germany. So like I, um, I don't speak German, but I speak some German is how I guess I would put it like I can I can have some basic conversation and, and some words and stuff but I'll go to certain activities where like for example the the gym that I go to it's like group fitness classes so I go there pretty much the same time a few times a week so I see the same group of people and um and like everybody pretty much speaks English and of course there's some encouragement like oh you could you could try to speak German but I'm like you know this is like my social hour for the day. And I'm not going to be myself. Like, we're just going to force my way through that. Like, I would really rather just kind of like, enjoy this experience. Um, and, and be my, and like you said, like be myself, because you lose a little bit of yourself when you try to switch languages. Um, you, you mentioned the humor thing. I think that's like a great example. Uh, you just can't quite be your yourself. So it's finding again, like finding that balance between challenging yourself and embracing the local culture, but then also saying like, you know, I, I need to connect with other humans. And what's the easiest way to do that? 
I mean, I, on the point of humor, I, I told you I am Norwegian, uh, but I've lived for, for 16 years on and off in, in Sweden, Stockholm. And, and Norwegian and Swedish as languages, they're very similar. I'd say 90% of the words are the same. And then there's those 10 other percents that kind of mess with you. But pronunciation <laughs> is different and context is different and the ordering of the word is different. It took me probably 10 years until I could really appreciate stand-up comedy in Swedish. Wow. That's when I knew, okay, I got it now. You get to that point. I didn't know that. I did, so I, I knew that they were like... Uh... Like, I think I probably had a, if I would have guessed, I would have guessed somewhere in that like 90, 10 range, but I didn't realize that, that the, the context around how you speak is so, is so different between Norwegian and Swedish. Yeah. And I think you'll find that other language pairs as well. If you think Spanish or Portuguese, right? A lot mm -hmm. of the words are going to be the same, but the way they're used and the context around it is different. So, so even though you, you'd think it'd be easy to get proficient in that language, it might almost be harder because you're reflecting back on, on kind of your base, like what I know what this means in, in Norwegian, why does it mean the same in Swedish? That's wild. So how many languages do you speak in, in total? This always fascinates me with people from Scandinavia. <laughs> uh, so Norwegian and Swedish, right? Those are given. My, my English is okay. Um, I, I spoke English first because of my mom. Mm. Um, I speak Spanish-ish now. <laughs> Um, I, I can get by, but, but I'm not fluent. Um, I practiced a little Japanese when I lived in Tokyo, but, but, but that's not committed to memory. So, so how, how about we say four? Okay. All right. We'll settle on 4.25. Sounds good. Uh, <laughs> I think that's, um, man, that's, uh, yeah, that's so impressive for people like myself, like Americans talk about this a lot. I think especially Americans living in other countries, how like we're always so envious that growing up languages just aren't a thing for us. And, uh, and so once you, you know, when you find yourself in your thirties and trying to learn to speak German, you're like, damn it, it would have been good to have some, some, uh, foreign language under my belt at a younger age. But, um, so that's, that's fascinating. And, um, your English is, is much more than just okay, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. It's funny though. Cause sometimes I feel like I have like a, a school level on my English. You feel I like restricted it. sometimes? Not, not restricted, but maybe my vocabulary isn't as broad as I would like it to be because I, mm. I spoke it at home fluently until I was four, right? And then I've used it in school and I use it professionally, but, but I haven't always in my life used English. So, so I think my, my vocabulary is restricted. Maybe my, my usage of it is a little restricted, Yeah, uh, but I do get by. This is something we, we, you and I come across probably in our, in our work, right? Like, and, and maybe I'm less sensitive to it than, than you are. Cause you are actually going through it. But like, if I were working with you, I would never, it would never cross my mind that unless I really thought about it, that you might feel a little bit limited in, in English, because to me, you sound 100% fluent. Um, and, and so I would, I just might not think to, limit the use of, um, you know, weird words like non-normal words or phrases or euphemisms or things, maybe words like euphemisms. Euphemism um, is one of those, right? <laughs> that's one of those words <laughs> where you're like, why would you use that word when you could just say like, you know, an expression or something like that? Um, yeah. And so I think it's like, I think it's very interesting because, you know, we live in this, like you and I work and live in this remote hybrid world where we're, we're both like tackling these kinds of small challenges every single day. And it's, it's one of those that can 
fly under the radar when we start thinking about like all the collaboration tools we're going to use and the best practices you're going to put in place. Like it's simple things like, are you using the right terminology? And are you thinking like empathetically about what your teammate on the other side of the world who never has to use these words or phrases or whatever? Um, like you, there's a lot of nuance to, to this whole thing. And I don't know, it's, it's something you and I could probably talk about all day, every day. <laughs> I was just waiting for you to say empathy, actually, because I think that's the key in a lot of these conversations. Number one, just having the conversation, but then also trying to see it from somebody else's perspective, not, not yeah. from your own, um, I, I think is key. And, and what I usually try to think about when it comes to language is explain it to me as if I was a five-year-old. Mm -hmm. If you're able to do that, then you're a good communicator. Right, because yeah. then you know the receiver is going to be able to understand whatever you're trying to to communicate. You you might lose a little of the art of the language, right? Language can be beautiful, but but if the purpose is to get a message across, um, it might might be worthwhile dumbing it down a little. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that explain it to me like I'm a five year old thing. That's that's something my dad has always said like my entire life. So whenever somebody says that, I I see his face like Chase, explain <laughs> it to me like I'm a five year old. You know, like I was in trouble. I did something wrong. And he's like, no, tell me why you did this. Uh, but but that's it's so true. I mean, yeah, it's uh it, and I think we tend to maybe in like a work context often like overcomplicate things to make ourselves feel important or or to sound smart or or something like that. I mean, I think it can even be like to a malicious, even, even if it's subconscious, um, to a malicious standpoint to like make somebody else feel lesser than you or make yourself feel higher than them. Um, and it doesn't get you very far in this, in this world that we're, we're now working in. I don't think. I mean, even acronyms, right. In, in yeah. every business or, or area, there's going to be acronyms that are specific for that business. But, but when I talk to my cap colleagues in marketing, right? Um, they start listing acronyms I've never heard of. So I'm like, okay, hold on. Let's, let's spell it out. Explain it to me like I'm five. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. so there's something there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I see, I see people talking in acronym language all the time. And like, I mean, at, at Duist, for example, like we've just outlawed acronyms, like you just don't, don't use them. And I saw this actually really interesting presentation um, who was it by, oh, I wish I could give them credit. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll remember and put it in the show notes. Um, but talking about how like, especially like, uh, Americans, for example, we use a lot of like baseball related or race car related, like terminology, um, or, or phrases in our, in our speech and how it like doesn't resonate with people. Um, even like, even just something simple, like, you know, like, all right, yeah, like let's do it. Let, like, hit a home run and you're like, people are like, or on the other yeah. side of the world are like, what's a, <laughs> Is that a what's good a thing or a bad yeah. thing? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So you have to think through all these things. And personally, I mean, I, like I host a podcast called about abroad. I live abroad. I work in a fully location independent world with teammates around the world. I'm a nerd for this kind of stuff. Like I, I enjoy it. Um, and I, and I gather you do too, from our previous conversations, but like, it's not, it doesn't come naturally. Um, and certainly is not an interest for everybody. So I think there is a skill. This is the point I was kind of coming back around to is like your, your childhood experience, you know, traveling around, living in different places, um, prepared you for being the head of hybrid that you are now and working in this, this type of world that, that you and I find ourselves in. And I think that is going to be more and more the case and become more and more of like a skill set that is necessary to thrive in, in this world. I think one of the greatest gifts I've ever received from traveling 
is perspective. Mm-hmm. Right, being able to see things from different angles. I'm so grateful for having had that opportunity. Uh, but as an example, I was living in Tokyo, and in Tokyo they're known for working crazy hours. Right, uh, they'll come into work at nine in the morning and they'll work until the boss leaves. Mm. And and he became boss because he works the latest. So this is a, a vicious circle where, where people just keep staying longer and longer in the office. So so regular working day might be from nine to nine. And then you go out for dinner, and that's not optional. Uh, you join for dinner. If your boss is going out for dinner, you join for dinner. Um, and that could be another three hours. So you're working from 9 to 12, right? And and I tell my friends back home, like, the, the regular working day is 12 to 15 hours. And they immediately go, that's insane. That's crazy. <laughs> and it is. <laughs> but it's not. But it's not. Here's the thing, right? If you see it from the, the Japanese perspective, it's like, why wouldn't you want to spend all this time with your family? Because they consider their colleagues their family. Mm. They come into work, they stick around, they, they play, they have fun, they go out, have dinner afterwards. They look at us and saying, you come to the office, you try to limit the time you're there. That's crazy. Do you not care about your colleagues? It's just just different perspectives, Right. Wild, wildly different perspectives and neither are necessarily wrong. Yeah, and neither are necessarily right. And I think that's what I've learned. Everybody thinks that their own perspectives are right, that their own culture is right. You, you see it from, from whatever you're comfortable or, or, or used to. Uh, but by having seen so many things from so many different angles, I've kind of gotten to the insight that no one's right ever and, and no one's wrong ever. It, it's just perspective. And, and for me, that's so valuable. We'll be right back to the show after a quick break for a note from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by my good friends over at Greenback Tax, the very best in U.S. expat tax services and the company that I've trusted to handle my tax situation since I moved abroad in 2015. Greenback is 100% focused on helping U.S. expats with their taxes and to date they filed almost 50,000 returns for nearly 15,000 happy customers like me living in more than 200 different countries around the world. After seven years working together, I can say with confidence that they make one of the most painful parts of life abroad an absolute breeze with their automated systems that store all of your information for you to make tax filing easy year after year and the friendly advisors who you actually have a working relationship with. There are no robots over at Greenback. Best of all, everyone is a CPA or enrolled agent with a specialty in U.S. expat taxes, which means they know exactly how to help you take advantage of some incredible tax breaks because you're living abroad, not in spite of it. As of January 23rd, tax season has officially arrived, so it's time to get started. Learn more about Greenback Tax today by visiting Greenback taxservices.com via the link in the show notes. Hey guys, if you're still around and enjoying this episode, then I think you might actually like our once a month newsletter as well. If you'd like to sign up, just open up the show notes of the episode you're currently listening to, scroll down and look for aboutabroad.com slash newsletter. It takes about 30 seconds to sign up. It's a fantastic way to support the show. And I think you'll be pleased with the information that we provide every month as well. Thanks a lot for listening. Hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. How long was your stint in in Japan? Six months. Six months. Okay, so I did a, a yeah. similarish stint in in Beijing, and I found the the funny thing is is like I I got told on my first day or like maybe my first week to like stop working, stop being so American and working so hard. Um, was like what my <laughs> boss told me, 
Um, it's like you're setting a bad example because um, we're not going to like try to get people to keep up with you sort of thing. And I'm yeah. not saying this in a, in a bragging way at all. Like I wasn't, I was literally just trying to like submit it, The idea was like, Hey, we want you to finish this by Friday. And it was Monday and I finished it on Tuesday, let's say, cause it yeah. was like a super easy task. And they were like, look, man, um, when you start submitting stuff on Tuesday, then that means everybody has to start submitting stuff on Tuesday. And that's not really how this works. Like this, you know, you kind of need to chill out. Um, and, and most people were like watching videos online and like, just kind of like hanging out. And I, uh, and, and, you know, this contrasts like super strongly, like it's, it does, it doesn't sound like what you would expect from, you know, based on what we think of, of like the, the, uh, Chinese workforce right now, you know, they're getting like bombarded with bad media and press about the the way that people work and the working conditions and the long hours and stuff. But this was my experience, you know, at the time. And, similar. Uh, <laughs> was it similar for you? Similar in Tokyo, because I, I yeah. got used to, I, I, I came in and I was working seven hour days and, and I got used to staying for, for 12 hours because everybody else did it. Yeah. Um, but I don't think I produced anything more. I, I wasn't more productive. Um, so when I went back to the Nordics, I was living in Denmark after, afterwards. I found that I couldn't finish my work in an eight-hour workday because mm-hmm. I had gotten so slow. I got <laughs> used to not doing anything. So it took me several months until I was able to kind of rebuild my speed of execution to be able mm. to finish work in a, in a regular working day. Interesting. Okay. All right. So yeah, this was actually kind of the point I was getting. I was like, I was wondering if there was like a, does time equate to production kind of thing? Or is it just like you getting the same amount done, whether you were doing seven hour days or 12 hour days? <laughs> it sounds like a little bit of the latter. But I think on if you, if you reflect a little upon this and, and you reflect about reflect upon remote work, this changes everything for, for those types of cultures because you're used to going to a physical office and spending your entire day there. That's kind of where you have your life. Mm-hmm. And now we're saying and we're advocating for don't do that anymore. Yeah. Right? You can work wherever you want. And then suddenly work becomes more about being productive. Uh, it becomes more about output than hours. So you need to figure out what is your most productive way of of succeeding with a, a task or getting that the expected output from that task so that you don't have to work more or that you can take on other work tasks. Um, yeah. So it becomes a very different mindset. And I wonder how those cultures are going to, um, are going to be able to, um, to integrate that. Yeah. I think it can also come become very transactional, right? Like, like there, that, that idea that you were talking about with the, Japanese seeing their colleagues as part of their family is like actually a beautiful thing. And, and I would love to work in that environment in a lot of ways too. Um, but the, the fact is, is like, that's not always the way that, uh, from my culture, that's not always the way the office actually works. So it becomes less idealistic. Uh, but I can see how someone who says, look, I love, I love this side of work. Why would I want to give that up? If you, if you have that, I, I totally understand. But what I'm a big advocate for, and I believe you are as well, is more like, I just want you to have the choice. You know, if you if you want to go have that family environment and want to see your colleagues as your family and embrace that, that sounds awesome. That should be an option. And I, and I believe it will continue to be. Um, but for those of us who want our location independence or want to spend that time with our quote unquote, real family and friends are doing the hobbies that we really love or live in on the other side of the world on the Costa del Sol. 
um, then I want that to be your option. And, uh, and, and that that's available to us now. It's funny because we talk a lot about intentionality at work. Yeah. Um, but I think it also requires intentionality outside of work. Like if you're freeing up all this time now, what are you going to do with it? How will you, how will you spend that time if you don't spend it in, in an office with your second family? Um, what, what or, do you or even do? for myself, right? What do I do? I'm not, not enough. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I think much. you're. No, I think you're a pro at this, though. I, we've had some conversations, and you you have a you have a really nice, well balanced life. I mean, for for example, we were messaging back and forth before this, uh, planning this this call, and you know, you were you're out with friends for lunch. You host jam sessions with locals. Um, you know, you're you're enjoying life as, as you're a hard worker. I mean, you're you know, you've you've worked at some of the the largest tech companies in the world and a leader in this space. Like you, you don't, that doesn't happen by, by not working hard. Um, but you balance it out. Well, I've, I get the impression. Yeah. I think my, one of my, my key sayings or values is to work, work to live, don't live to work. Mm -hmm. I, I, I will always choose life first. And that's why I left Google. Um, cause I wanted to live in Spain. Mm -hmm. um, so we decided we, we got drunk on, on Jack Daniels and Coke and, and made a <laughs> impulse decision to, to live in Spain. This is how um, most, so the morning most people end up in Spain, I think. <laughs> Jack Daniels and Coke. <laughs> uh, so, so we made this decision and I called my, my boss at, at Google and says, Anna, uh, I've decided to move to Spain. I didn't ask for permission. I've decided to move to Spain. Can we make the role remote? Mm. She loved the idea. She, she really fought for me. We tried but we couldn't make it happen. Google wasn't prepared for that. So, so the, the decision for me to leave was easy. That, that mm. was never anything I had to, to really think about because when you prioritize life, then, then life decisions win. Do, do you find uh, that moving to Spain has been a positive influence on that mindset, the, the work, living to work instead of working to live? Did I say that backwards? I think we get the Lift. point. <laughs> get the gist of it. <laughs> um, I, I think I've always had that mindset, but Spain is helping me implement it. Yeah. Maybe it was more words before, something trendy that you've been taught to say. And, and here, the Spaniards, they really don't care about work. Yeah. I'm generalizing. <laughs> um, but, but a funny, a funny thing here, um, took me a while to realize people never talk about work, right? It took me six months to figure out what my best friends did for work mm. because it's a, it's a non-topic. It's not just that you don't talk about it. It's almost a bad thing to talk about it. Yeah. Um, which can be beautiful if, if you see it from a different perspective. You could be at a, a local Chiringuito, a beach bar, uh, and the CEO of this great company is sitting and chatting um, with, with this dude who cleans the street. And they don't talk about what they do for a living. They are just there to connect with each other, to interact, to have fun, drink a couple of cervezas. Um, so, so just like the cultures I've, I've been in, Elsewhere, work is so important. In Sweden, the first question you ask is, what do you do for a living? Because that puts you in a box. And the second one is, how big is your apartment? Because that puts <laughs> you in another box. And, and here, these things don't come up at all. Yeah, I've, I've also found this to be true. And actually, it's, it's cool to hear you say that about, uh, about Sweden, because I think I have this impression that in a lot of ways, like America lives on this island where 
everybody like I, I get I get comments like this all the time that like you know oh you guys love to work you guys don't have any vacation time um, you know lots of like stereotypes that that people like to poke at and that work thing I feel like is something that really rings true for me because when I go back to the U.S. I I always fall back into this like uh, rat race mentality. Um, just, I mean, the, and, and you nailed it with like the things you talk about, like when I go sit down with friends or I meet somebody new within a couple minutes, we're talking about work or mortgage mm. rates or, you know, like, yeah. just like very, um, kind of, it's a very like business like mentality. And that's great in a lot of ways, to be honest, like there are things that I, I enjoy about that, um, to, to a degree, but when I, but I, I get a little bit too much into that zone. And I found like living in Spain, I'm, I'm brought back down to like a, a nice equilibrium, but I have this mentality that that's sort of like a U.S. thing. And, uh, and it's, so it's interesting to hear you say that, like coming, you know, coming from Sweden and Norway countries that are generally up there and like the top, you know, two, th- one, two or three, four, five happiest countries in the world. And, um, and so anyway, that's, that's kind of an aside, but I, I I do find this this interesting how you can really adapt to the place that you're living in and how that can have an influence on you. So so one of the things I'm trying to do here, and here comes a big acronym. It's not an acronym. It's a it's a it's a term. It's non-linear it work based. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah. I'll, <laughs> euphemism, yeah. No, non-linear work days. Um, and and I'll break it down because uh, it's not as dangerous as it sounds, but. Going away from this idea that you have to work from from nine to five. Um, so, so what I'm trying to do is I get up earlier in the morning. I've never used to be a morning person, but I try to start my workday at seven, mm-hmm. uh, and I'll work from seven till twelve. So between seven and nine, when my team wakes up, that's me time, right? I am so productive. Like all of the thoughts that I've been grinding during the night, I can sit down, I can get them out. So that's creative time for me. And it really kind of gets me focused on the day to come. Then I have three hours with my team from mm-hmm. nine to 12. I can sink, I can coach, I can do our one-on-ones, ask, answer questions, help them unblock them. And then here's the kicker from 12 to three or four, I try not to work. And in Spain, you could call it a siesta. I don't think of it as a siesta, but these are the, the sunny hours, the best hours in the Spanish day. Mm-hmm. I go out for a run or I can go play nine holes of golf. Uh, I can go hang out on the beach. I can go for a hike up in the hills. All of these things that, that people typically relate to having a great life, I can do in the middle of the day between 12 and three or four. Then I come back and I work from three to eight. A couple of hours again with the team. I have the, the, the opportunity to sync with them and coach them and help them out with whatever has happened during the day. And then after that, I get a couple of production hours mm-hmm. where, where people get off Slack, stop bothering me. I can start <laughs> hammering out um, actual work, right? Um, end my day at eight. And that's when Spain comes alive. That's when you go out, have dinner in Spain. So, so what I've done here, just by reshuffling my day a little, is I gained four hours of life. Three to four every hours single of day. Every day. <laughs> every single day. Do I always succeed with this? No. Uh, very often I get pulled in, a crisis happens, I, I got to do some extra work, but, but every now and then I do actually succeed. And I'm like, think, this is, this is a good life. 
it's a really good life. And it all revolves around that nonlinear workday, being able to choose what works best for you. Like perhaps that doesn't work for everyone. You know, maybe most people, maybe some people like to use those hours in the middle of the day to get their best work done, or maybe they're night owls and they like to work from 10 PM to 5 AM or whatever works good for you should work for you. And, uh, and I think it's awesome how you're embracing that and, and specifically like connecting it to the life in Spain, like, because those are the hours that make the most sense for, for where you're living. And if you live somewhere else, like the hours would be slightly different and you could adjust. And and it's cheating, right? Because these hours during the weekdays, no one's out, right? You get, Mm -hmm. you get nature for yourself because everybody else is working. Yeah. So, so so I've kind of found those those golden nuggets. Like the golf course is empty. If I want to go play golf, I don't even have to have a tea time. Yeah, uh, we we share so a this very really similar. We we share like almost the identical schedule. By the way, like mine is mine is uh six thirty or seven to eleven eleven thirty somewhere in that range, and then uh three to seven is some uh, like two four hour blocks. One in the morning, one in the afternoon, evening, and. Um, and like a three or four hour break in the middle of the day. And that's been amazing for me. And you know, like the funny impetus for that, uh, was when I, so I've always worked remote. Um, but I used to work for a hybrid company where I was one of the few remote people. And so we had a standard, like one hour lunch break was sort of the, the expectation. And I would try to get up early in the, like my dream was like, I would love to like get exercise in the middle of the day. Cause I wanted to be fit and active. But I realized like at the end of the day, I'm exhausted. I don't feel like doing anything. I would, I am a morning person in terms of like, I rise early, but I'm not like ready to work out at 7am either. Mm. Um, But I, so I was like, man, if I could just have like an hour and a half or maybe two hours in the middle of the day, I could like go get some exercise, have some lunch, shower, get back to work. Like that would be amazing. And even then like two hours, you're really rushing to do that. Um, but that was kind of like my dream. And now like, sometimes I'll laugh about it because I have like, I take my four hour lunch break and (laughs) I do go get exercise and I come back feeling amazing. Like I got the, the thing I always say is like my, my team literally gets the best of me, like in the morning and afternoon, every single day, instead of like 50% of me, uh, in both those work sessions. So like, I, I, it's just a win-win for everyone. And it comes down to freedom and flexibility, yeah. right? Everyone's going to have different needs, different wants, but being able to to make those choices um, for what's best for you as an individual, um, I think that that's the new idea here that is really going to change the world. Yeah, one hundred percent agree. Um, I know we could we could stay on this stuff for forever, so I'll I'll try to get us back to uh, Spain a little bit here because I want to share with some people who may be unfamiliar with this part of Spain in particular. Maybe they've come, they've visited Madrid or Barcelona and, you know, they've, uh, they've, they've heard about the Costa del Sol, but maybe they just, you know, they're not really sure. Okay, cool. It sounds like a good place, but like, where, where might I want to go kind of like set up for a little while? So let's just pick some, some spots up and down this part of Spain and, uh, and share a little bit, some of your like maybe insider tips we might call it, or, or some of your favorite spots. Sure, sure. And I'll, I'll focus on the Costa del Sol because I know that area the, the best or, or the Malaga area in general. Um, yeah. You know Valencia much better than I do. Um, but I think it kind of depends on what you want to do. If you're coming as a digital nomad, um, 
I'd say you primarily have two options if you're coming for, for work. Uh, you have Malaga, which has a bustling startup scene, more and more co-working spaces. Um, there are more and more meetups around the topics. So you'll find a, a small but growing digital nomad community. Um, I think it's very welcoming, very accepting, uh, and I love the city. Um, I, and I, I think it's see- about what, like, like half a million, something like, like in terms of population, somewhere in that range, just to give people like a, a rough idea. Like it's not like a small, you know, there's, there's, there's a little metropolis there in a way. And I think you have, you Same have like a lot going on. They, yeah, exactly. They have, a, they have a couple of subways now. It's, yeah. it's, it's not a small place, but, but it still has that kind of beachy feeling to it and beautiful beaches, yeah. um, amazing rooftop bars with the best views you'll see. Uh, I, I love Malaga, love Malaga. Yeah. So, so that's one option. The other option where I see a lot of my Swedish friends go now is Marbella. Mm. So Marbella is, um, more expensive. Uh, you're, you're looking at more, I'm going to say Swedish prices cause that's my reference point. Um, a little more upscale, a little more up class. It's nice. It's fancy. It's got good clubs, um, good beach bars. Uh, and also a booming startup scene. Mm. Uh, but I'd say more more kind of developed startups who are starting to offer that as a retreat location where, where people go work for a couple of months to to get some extra extra hours of sunlight. Um, not for me. I'm not a fan of Marbella. Um, <laughs> but I've seen a lot of people, uh, particularly startup founders, uh, migrating down that direction. Then you have the other side of the coast. And this is going to be a little more difficult. So depending on what you, you look for, I live in Rincon de la Victoria, which is the, the next municipality after Malaga going east. And, and this is Spain. This is Spain. The, the menus in the restaurants are going to be in Spanish. Mm. Uh, you're going to have to use your restaurant Spanish to, to order food. Uh, you're not going to find any co-working spaces. Uh, and cafes are not likely to have Wi-Fi. So, so if you come here to work, you have to be prepared to have that in your Airbnb or, or wherever you're staying. Um, I bought a house here, so so I invested in property. So, so I got everything I need in my little my my little office. Uh, and there are buses that go into Malaga City. I can be in the in in the city for in 25 minutes, 15 with a taxi, or, or I could take my bike. Cool. Um, so I would obviously advocate for for this side of the city, but but realizing it's a little more difficult um, to to kind of integrate here. It's good advice though, because I think a lot of people are looking for that authentic experience, and uh, and maybe like Malaga is a great place to go post up for a month or something, and then um, get a lay of the land, and then expand out in one direction or the other. If you want the the beach bars and nightclubs, then uh, Marbella's your your spot, and if you're looking for a little more local vibe, um, then you you head east, and you'll find your 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 tribe one way or the other. Yeah, okay. and I mean try it. It's, it is an amazing place. It has a different tempo to life. Um, yeah, it, yeah, it's good. It's good. Sa- the San Diego of Europe. I mean, that, that kind of says it for anybody that's been to San Diego before one other place I'll, I'll mention. And I, I know it's a, a bit more, it's tour, more touristy, but it's just, if you're in the area, you, I think you have to go see Mijas Pueblo, um, up in the, uh, up in the Hills. It's not, it's not on the beach. Um, but, uh, I just, the whitewashed buildings and little cobblestone streets and stuff. I mean, it's like extremely picturesque. It's beautiful. Uh, an amazing place. I'd go there and visit as a digital nomad. I, I probably wouldn't live there. It feels yeah. like the population is older. 
Yeah, uh, for sure. It's more the retirees. Uh, but there's a lot of beautiful hikes there. We used to go with the dog up in the mountains behind me, us, uh, amazing place as well. Oh, so cool. I, I was also curious, I don't think there's anything special that you have to do, but just for, you know, we, we do have a decent size, uh, audience actually coming from the European union. Um, is there anything special you had to do to move to Spain or like, is that process pretty straightforward? So I'm not a lawyer. Don't take my words yeah. as, as legal <laughs> advice. Uh, but Always I think I believe if you're <laughs> if you're in the European Union, you have the freedom to to live and work um, wherever you want. Um, which is why what I did. I'm Norwegian, so I'm not actually European Union, but under mm. Schengen, I have the same rights. Um, but but we drove down from from Sweden, so that was super easy. You uh, you got to apply for some paperwork when you get here, but but that happens that you get it. So there's no no restrictions on that. If you're in country more than 183 days, you have to tax to that country. That, right. That's across the European Union. So wherever you are the most, that's where you're tax resident. So, so make sure you get your paperwork set up. Um, but you have the freedom to to live and work. Um, and also there's the digital nomad visa now. So so this is now extended also to Brits um, who, who left us, uh, Americans, other <laughs> who wants to come in. There are processes for this now, which makes Spain much, much easier to, to access. Yeah, we had an episode a few months back, about two months back, that's been extremely popular. Um, one of our most popular episodes ever, all about how to move to Spain. Um, so if, if that, you know, whether you're coming from within or external of the EU, Schengen, um, you can check out that episode. And you'll get all the answers on, you know, what your options are. Um, but yeah, and the, the new digital nomad visa is certainly one of them. And um, there's there's actually quite a number of ways, like even if you're if you're not from within the EU or not within Schengen, you still have lots of options to get to a, a great place like Spain. So I leveraged one of them. I've just gotten to permanent residency, uh, permanent European residency, actually, so I can move within Europe if I choose to. Um, but, uh, there's, I mean, that's the, the point is, is that there's lots of gateways in and then from there jumping off points to lots of opportunities that could, you know, last a lifetime if, if you choose to. The thing is, if you do come to Spain and, and Southern Spain in particular, there's a high risk that you might never want to leave. Yeah, <laughs> I think this is true. Um, it's, uh, it is infectious, man. There's something about the, the La Vida in España. It's just like, uh, a special place. And I think the way that they go about life and you obviously have great weather. I think something that goes, actually, I want to ask your opinion. Something that goes a little bit underrated in Spain is the diversity. Because I think what people think of is the Costa del Sol only. They think about beautiful beaches and flamenco or something like, and paella. And they're just like <laughs> warm weather and party all the time. Right. But like, you have such diversity in in Spain from from the Pyrenees to the north coast. You have different languages. You have uh, tons of history from from uh, from lots of different backgrounds. Like it's not it's not this like stereotype that I think a lot of people have. Um, it's it's a lot of variety. It's a it's a large country. Like if you look at it on a map, it's it you can go up or down or left or right for, for a long time. Mm -hmm. So as I think you're right. I haven't explored enough yet. Um, I've recently bought a car. Uh, so I'm looking forward to this summer, actually driving around and experiencing more of Spain and not just the area where I live. So, so that's high on my to-do list. I, I was looking at my travel plans. I want to go to Vietnam. I want to do all these things, but I'm like, I have Spain in my backyard. 
How about I just do that for a, for a couple of months? There's so much to see, man. I mean, I've, uh, I've been there five years now. And prior to that was spent, it ended up being four months. My first stint in Spain was seven or eight years ago. And it ended up, it was three months when I came to the Costa del Sol. It ended up being four months because I bought a camper van to travel out of the Schengen to go to the north of France and take a ferry over to Ireland and ended up breaking down 17 times and cost me an extra oh, month no. and I overstayed <laughs> my visa and whole nother story. Um, but anyway, ended up being four months traveling through Spain. And, uh, and I just, yeah, I mean, there's just so much to see. Like I was really blown away by like, when you get to the north of Spain, it looks like what you might envision the coast of Ireland or New Zealand, very green, lush, rolling mountains right along the sea, cliffs dropping down into the ocean. Um, it feels more like you're in like a like a Celtic place than it does uh, Spain. And it's just you don't see the like Roman ruins that you see in the south. You see more like castles and stuff like that. It's just it's it's just kind of fascinating. And then you get up into like Basque country and you hear a totally different language, or you go up to Catalonia and it's, you know, you've got these like crazy high Pyrenees mountains and people speaking Catalan and different, you know, history and culture there. And it's, it's just, for me, it's just a, it's, it's been an incredible place to explore and live. And that's what I kind of always wanted was a place where I wouldn't get bored ever because there's just always something new to see. And, uh, and I, I totally feel that way about Spain. I'm going to have to heat you up for some travel advice when I start planning my route then. <laughs> please, please. Uh, that would be a lot of fun, man. Um, well, I, I look forward to catching up with you when you get back from your journey. And uh, in, the, in the meantime, thanks for dropping some knowledge, um, remote work knowledge. You're a true pro in that area, as well as, you know, Costa del Sol, Spain. Um, this is a lot of fun. I know we could, we could go on for a while, but I'll let you get back to, to real work. I'm, I'm interrupting that, uh, that perfect schedule you had. Uh, mapped out for the day. <laughs> Thanks for a uh, a wonderful conversation, Chase. I I haven't laughed this much for for a while. This was a lot of fun. Oh man, it was my pleasure. We'll we'll catch up soon. Um, hasta luego, amigo. We'll we'll see you soon. Hasta luego. Thanks for tuning in today from wherever you are in the world. Once again, I'm Chase, and this has been another episode of About Abroad. For those of you wondering how you can best support the show, I have made it super simple for you. Just go over to the show notes of the episode that you just finished listening to and click on one of the two following links. Aboutabroad.com slash newsletter to get our monthly newsletter, no spam, guaranteed. Or ratethispodcast.com slash aboutabroad, where you can quickly and easily leave a review for the show. It's not just important to me, it also helps more wanderers just like you find us. Finally, don't forget to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice, and we will see you again next week. Thanks again. Hasta luego, amigos.